Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, whose mission is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere, and they offered us Life After Miscarriage Gals, guys, and our couples 10% off their first month when using the link betterhelp.com L-A-M. Now let's get into today's episode. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We have Hannah Gruner on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Hannah, I am just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. Hi, Shelly. Thank you so much. Um, And I just want to start by saying thank you for this platform and this space. Um, Even in, you know, a year of dealing with this and having friends and family to speak with, um, you know, just having somewhere we can just talk and unload and know that other people will understand is, um, I think really important. So thank you. Um, so I'm Hannah, I'm 32. I grew up in Philly and currently live there. Um, I met my husband in 2013. Uh, we met in law school, got married, um, 2015. And then we, we had talked about having kids, but, um, you know, we were, we were still in school and starting our careers. So it was it's definitely something that, you know, was down the line. Um, but we did have a conversation early on about, you know, how many kids we want, we want to have, um, you know, the, the standard, the standard conversation. Um, but even, even then I, I remember saying to him, you know, my biggest fear is having a miscarriage Um, because my mom had had one and it was it was something she mentioned over the years she never really went into depth um, but she mentioned enough that you know I was aware of it and I was aware of it from a relatively young age and um, I could see how much it affected her so it you know it was something that even then was on my mind even though I really had no reason for it to be and um you know it it feels like a a weird kind of self-fulfilling prophecy even though um you know i know there's there's nothing we can do um and nothing that i did but it was kind of always on my mind going forward so after we graduated um we had our, our big wedding reception in february of 2018 um went on our honeymoon and then we were finally at the point where, okay, we're, we're officially going to, to start trying. And that was, I think around Labor Day, 2018. Um, I had been on Depo-Provera, which is the, um, shot birth control up until a little bit before our wedding. So about, I had been off it for about nine months when we started trying. I'd been on the pill and, um, my, once I stopped everything, just my periods were really irregular. Um, every two weeks, every five weeks. Um, excuse me, that was once I first started getting periods. Um, so it took me a while to get it back. Um, and of course, it was over New Year's, and we were we were at my in-laws' house, and um, it was it was coming back to my second period. I was like, yes, this is it. We're pregnant. I'm late. Like my boobs hurt. This is it. And then New Year's Eve day, I, I got my period. Um, and in retrospect, it, you know, it was really naive 
thinking, oh, you know, it's going to happen on the first time. Um, I think everyone kind of thinks that they can plan it. Um, but it did not happen. Um, and like I said, my periods just kept being really irregular. My OB didn't really know what to do with it. Um, she just told me to track my ovulation and if it's still wonky, come back. So I came back, that was in like June or July of 2019. And she wasn't even screwing around. She's like, you know, you're trying, your periods are off. I'm referring you to the fertility clinic, which I had never known anyone who went to a fertility clinic. Um, I still don't know many people who have gone. Um, and it's just a really shocking thing because I was about to turn 31. Um, you know, I'm one of, at least out of my childhood friends, I'm the only one who doesn't have kids. My sisters both have kids. Um, pretty much everyone except my law school friends have kids. So, you know, the fact that this was something we might actually need assistance with was, was difficult. Um, and at the same time, we had found a, a lump in my breast, which thankfully was benign. Uh, but it was just, it was a lot of shit going on all at once. So we went to the clinic. Um, I got some preliminary tests done, thyroid, checked my ovaries, everything looks good. Um, the doctor did put me on some thyroid medication. She said my levels were, you know, within normal range, but a little bit higher than they wanted for when you're trying to conceive. So I started on thyroid medication and she recommended something called Ovacetol um, to, to help regulate my cycles. So I started that and it's, if anyone's not familiar with it, it's just um, a powder. You, you can put it into your drink you do it twice a day. I have it with my coffee every morning, I'm drinking it now. Um, and it, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it really was like magic. Ever since I've started taking it, I've had the nice textbook 20 to 32 day cycles, um, pretty regular not as heavy anymore. Um, so I was excited, you know, I was thinking, all right, this is it. My ovulation is on track. We're going to get pregnant. I'm not going to have to go back to the fertility clinic. So I told them we're going to try and, and we'll get in touch with you when we're ready to start. Um, the doctor's recommendation had been like immediately like, okay, we're going to do this ovacetol. You're going to do the thyroid medications and we're going to start IUIs, which is intrauterine insemination. And again, I was just, I wasn't ready for that. You know, like I'm, I'm 31. It, let's see if if regular periods help and, and we'll revisit. So a few months go by and nothing happens. So in January of last year, 2020, um, we went back to the clinic. My husband got his sperm tested. Um, I apologize if any of his family is hearing this in the future, but Dr. Freaking raved about his sperm. Um, to this day, he's still very proud of how good his sperm is, and how the doctor compliments it every time we go in for an IUI. Um, so that was fine. We knew he's not the issue. Um, I had an HSG, which is where they they shoot the tie the dye, excuse me, up the fallopian tubes. Um, for the most part, everything looked fine, and uh, we were cleared to start. So we had our first IUI on, it was February 1st, 2020. And um, I remember the date 
really specifically because we, you know, just kind of everything started to fall into line. Um, and I found out I was pregnant on February 10th. And we announced it to our family really early um, on Valentine's Day. Um, and, and as I was telling family and friends, you know, again, kind of with, with this family history, I don't say family history of miscarriages because it's so common, um, but knowing that my mom had had this experience, um, and there was, I remember there was another conversation with, with all the women in my family when I was younger, um, it was at Thanksgiving where basically every single woman in my family has had a miscarriage at some point or another, um, or some kind of difficulty conceiving. Um, so it, it was something that was, was still pretty forefront. Um, but I think, you know, maybe I was, I was a little naive and, and trying to jinx it and go, Oh, well, you know, we're, we're telling people who we would tell anyway, when the worst happens. Um, and we did, we told, you know, our, our parents, our siblings, our closest friends, um, not super public, um, but I'm, I'm a very open person. I don't like hiding things. I don't like lying about things. And, um, I just, I just felt like keeping, keeping that information, excuse me, just, just wasn't the right move for me. Um, and in retrospect, I'm glad. Um, so at the fertility clinic, you get to go in for early monitoring. So they do blood work. And then I think my first ultrasound was at five weeks, maybe six weeks. Um, everything was good. And we had two more. So yes, yeah, so it was five, six, and seven. Everything was looking good. Um, week seven, baby was perfect. We could see the heartbeat. Um, this was right before all the pandemic closures happened. So my husband was able to come with me and, um, yeah, so everything, everything looked like it was going good. And then we go in on week eight and I could, you can see it. You can see it on the doctor's face. Um, even if they're controlling themselves, you can see it. Um, and I could, I could see the monitor and I could just tell the, the heartbeat looked really irregular. It was, you know, a few beats and then it would stop and a few beats and it would stop. And I was just holding my husband's hand and I fucking knew it. Um, and the doctor basically said, you know, it's not looking good. It's probably going to take a few days. Um, we don't know how long. So we're going to have to, we're going to have you come back next week and do a recheck. And he never said the words, your baby's dying or you're losing your baby. But I mean, obviously that's, that's what's implied. And, you know, even though I had kind of had miscarriage looming kind of on my mind, it, I didn't know any of the details. I didn't know what the options were. I didn't know what it looked like, what to expect. I had no idea that my experience was not quote unquote like normal and that it's not common. Um, because what ended up happening was I had a missed miscarriage, but I got to watch it happen. 
um, because we were going in for that early monitoring. So that was week eight. Um, I took the week off work um, or at least a few days. I just, I sat, I cried. Um, my husband was with me. Um, right then both of our offices had gone to working from home which was which was definitely um a blessing in its own way because we kind of just got to to be with each other and um try to process so we went back the next week what would have been week nine and what would have been our quote-unquote graduation from the clinic and the doctor confirmed that there was no heartbeat and um you know, I, I knew, obviously you always hold out hope, but there was, there was one day in that week where I woke up and I just, I knew the baby was gone. Um, can't tell you how or why, um, I still had all the symptoms, um, but I just, I felt it. So then it was, well, you know, are we, what are, what of the three wonderful options are we going to pick? Um, I, at the time was terrified of miscarrying on my own at home um to the point where i was i was having panic attacks and um i also i also should say i i have a, a pretty long history of anxiety um and i had started medication for it um but even even with that you know it was just i couldn't handle the thought of it happening at home um and the cytotec i had heard horror stories um pretty rightfully so about it so I was like, nope, DNC, where can I get in? How fast can I get in? You know, this is it, this is happening. I don't care what my supposed options are, this is the only option. So I got in for a DNC, that was March 27th, I think, of last year. Um, and everything went, you know, relatively smoothly. Um, I was fine the rest of the day, just kind of rested. Uh, my husband was able to go in with me, which I am extremely thankful for. Um, and my symptoms started going away pretty fast. Um, I had really bad, I call it nausea, but it wasn't, I never really felt like I was going to throw up. It was just like this constant queasy feeling that, um, you know, like almost like you ate something a little bad and you're not right at the point of throwing up. You just feel like it. So that started going away. Um, my exhaustion and fatigue started going away and um, physically things normalized pretty quickly, which um, I was thankful for because having pregnancy symptoms when you know you're not pregnant um, or you know that your baby died is, oh, it sucks. Um, it really, really sucks. You know, if, you can handle it and you could deal with it if you know that you're you're bringing your baby home at the end of it. Um, but to know that it's kind of for nothing, uh, it's just really shitty. Excuse me. So, yeah, so physically I was doing pretty well. Um, took a few weeks for my period to come back. Um, my clinic's protocol is that after each miscarriage, you have to have a hysteroscopy where they, um, you know, stick a little camera up in your uterus, just make sure there's no scar tissue or, um, you know, remaining tissue, um, before they clear you to start treatment again. 
Um, so I had that, everything looked good, and um, we were clear to start. So that was in July of last year. And um, so physically, I was fine. Um, but mentally and emotionally, I was in a complete downward spiral. Um, and I didn't want to hear that I wasn't. Um, you know, my, my, my mom and my husband would tell me, no, you're, you're not doing okay. And it wasn't necessarily the pressure to, to be fine. I thought it was at the time. Um, but in retrospect, I, I really wasn't doing well. Um, even when we restarted treatment, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, um, so my, my due date with that pregnancy would have been October 24th and September 24th of 2020 was the two year anniversary of my dad dying. And that August we were visiting my husband's family in Michigan, which, um, is, is always, is always good. Um, I love his family. Um, but that was also, you know, that was going to be when we were there and pregnant and, um, there's this like long standing family joke that his mom's just dying to become a grandma. And um, she's never pressured, never asked. I mean, I honestly have one of the best mother-in-laws ever. Um, Cause it was always a joke, but at the same time, you know, to, to go there and be with family with what was supposed to be just an amazing time. Um, it got to me and especially with, Oh, excuse me. Um, especially with my dad's anniversary coming up and the due date coming up. And um, it was, the visit itself was good and I put on a good face. At least I hope I did. And I think I did and I tried to. Um, but inside, I was not doing well. Um, my, my, almost only thought was that I should be with my child. That what kind of mother isn't with their child? And I was never actively suicidal, but you know, I could have, I could have faded away. And, and been happy. <sighs> um, and objectively, you know, I knew I knew I was getting bad, even with um, my anxiety medication. I was and still am on Lexapro, which um, is also for depression. But you know, obviously, it it wasn't really doing the job anymore. And. Um, you know, personal life was suffering and my work was beginning to suffer. And I just, I couldn't, I knew I couldn't keep going. Um, so I did reach out to a therapist and, um, she's, she's wonderful. I've been seeing her since September. Um, and she's, she's really kind of helped me along the way. Um, just as, as somebody to, to just listen to me and validate me. Um, because even though, like I said, my friends were extremely supportive, um, especially the ones who don't have kids. That's, that's something I find really surprising. 
um, my friends with kids, you know, they, they kind of gave their sympathies and then gave me my space. Uh, but my friends who don't have kids, my law school friends, um, they're, they're freaking amazing. I love them. Um, they, you know, they would check in on me. They sent me care packages. Um, they would just sit on the phone with me and, you know, they, I couldn't have gotten through what I did without them, um, without my therapist. My husband, um, was there for me and I, I don't mean this in an admonishment in any way, but, um, you know, he was dealing with his own grief and he didn't know how to deal with mine. And, um, it just, it was difficult for both of us. Um, and my mom, she's a mom, you know, she doesn't, and didn't want to see me upset and in pain. So, you know, she was trying to, to push me to feel better and, oh, exercise, go for a walk and, you know, all that other crap that, <laughs> you know, it might be nice for a few minutes, but it doesn't really help. At least not in my opinion. So having my therapist, having my friends was, was honestly a lifeline. Um, and while this was happening, we were, we were still, still trying for baby number two. Um, so we had a few cycles between July and September that didn't work for one reason or another. Either I didn't react well to medication or I ovulated early. Um, just things kept happening. So in September, I got pregnant again. And, um, I was doing a little bit better at this point. Um, anxiety was still completely out the roof. Um, going in for, for the blood work and every scan, um, especially without my husband, was, was terrifying. Um, and I was able to, to have him on, on FaceTime, but you know, it's, it's not the same as, as having them there with you. So everything was looking okay. And um, the first ultrasound was good. Second ultrasound, again, you see it on the doctor's face and it's just, it's, it's there. Um, so we could, we could already tell at week six that the yolk sac had had kept growing, um, but that there was, there was no fetus inside or no, no embryo at that point. Um, and again, he was tentative, you know, come back in a week and we'll see what happens. Sometimes, you know, growth just slows for a little bit and comes back. But again, like I could tell by, just by his tone that it wasn't looking good. So we went through the same exact thing, um, came back in a week and there was no, no change in, in the embryo itself. Um, the yolk sac had gotten bigger and it was just empty. So, um, that one was, was called, I guess, a, a blighted ovum or, um, an empty sac pregnancy is the newer term for it, but honestly, I think it sounds just as shitty as, as blighted ovum. Um, and, you know, at that point, we knew our three options. Um, 
but unfortunately a DNC was was not really viable. Um, when we had the first one, I hadn't thought to check our insurance coverage or what was remaining on our deductible. Um, you know, you don't really really think about those things when you're you're losing your child. And um, we got hit with a pretty hefty bill um, after our first DNC that we are still paying off, um, at least as of this recording in, in March. Um, and we, we couldn't afford a second one, frankly. Um, I was nervous also about, you know, potential scarring, having multiple DNCs. Um, but the overriding factors, we just, we couldn't afford it. So um, I was also about to start a new job and didn't want to wait for it to happen naturally. So I decided to do the site attack. And um, I did that on Halloween of last year. And, um, you know, we didn't put any decorations up, turned off all the lights. I don't even know if anyone was trick-or-treating with COVID, but, um, you know, it just we just shut everything down and um yeah it was it was horrific um i i would absolutely never recommend that anyone take the site attack um not just for i mean the pain was tolerable i have a pretty high pain tolerance um you know that wasn't anything more than some bad period cramps but it's you know, I've, I've heard women say that their bathroom looks like a murder scene and I never believed it until that night. Um, so it, everything started off okay. You know, you take it and then you have to wait a few hours. So we were just sitting on the couch, um, watching horror movies. Um, and you know, I noticed, okay, I started bleeding. Um, but in everything I read to prepare myself and in everything the doctors told me, I was not prepared at all. Um, you know, I had, I had pads on hand and I very quickly realized that they were not going to be enough. Um, so my, my sister lives down the street. Um, she came, she brought me some and, and we were talking about it and she's like, listen, I've, I've never had a miscarriage, but you know, after I had my kids, I was bleeding a lot. If you're going to be sitting on the couch, you should put something under yourself. And I'm really glad she said that because half an hour later, I started bleeding through the pads, bleeding through my pants onto the towel. I put a trash bag on. So thank God for that. Um, and at that point, I just, I went to the bathroom and I was like, all right, I'm just going to hang out here. And, um, I started, started quote unquote, passing the tissue, um, which I've only ever heard one person describe it. Um, and it was one of, one of your guests, um, who said it, it looks and feels like raw liver. Um, it's, it was chunks the size of my hand and, um, I was not prepared for that at all you know they tell you blood clots and you're like okay so a few chunks but like no these are huge fucking pieces of, of organ tissue so i had some come out 
and um, I, I had a Tupperware container because the doctor's like, you know, try to catch the tissue and we'll, you know, we'll see if we can do some tests. So I, I did that thinking, okay, look, I have some tissue. You know, again, nobody really told me what to expect or what to do. So cramping eased up. I, I had my little Tupperware container, wrapped it up, put it in the fridge in the basement and um, put on another pad, went back on the couch. And I was fine for maybe another half hour, 45 minutes. And then it, that's when all hell broke loose. Um, I, at that point, I was just sitting on the toilet for I think at least three hours. Um, my husband watched an entire movie in the time that I was in the bathroom. Um, and at the time I was, I was really detached about what was going on. Um, you know, I didn't really want him in there with me. I just wanted to, to deal with it and get it over with. Um, but yeah, it was just, the blood was pouring out, um, like, like I had left a faucet on, um, again, not something I was expected. I passed, it had to be, God, at least five or six just cups worth of clumps of that livery tissue. Um, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know there was going to be more. I didn't know what I should be trying to catch. I didn't have anything to catch it. So at that point, I'm just, you know, pass, flush, pass, flush, pass, flush. Um, for about three hours um, until I finally felt like it was, it was easing up. Um, so yeah. And I was, I was texting, you know, one or two of my friends just for some company. Um, and they knew what was going on um, and they were really just distracting me, which was what I wanted at the time. I, um, I did not want to deal with the reality of what was happening to me. Um, and even, you know, going into this pregnancy, we had, my husband and I were both pretty cautious. Um, he had detached himself pretty well um, from the beginning. I was trying to take more of a, you know, well, everything is fine until it isn't approach, um, which clearly didn't make one goddamn bit of a difference um so yeah so that was my halloween and um was it it was really just a few days later halloween was i think on a saturday this year and it was maybe tuesday or wednesday um my husband and i got in a really big fight um because he I love him dearly, but he's, he's not a tactful guy in the way he says things. Um, so he was basically, you know, why are you still upset about this? Why are you still moving around? You can't do this forever. Um, and from my perspective, I'm like, you have to be fucking kidding me. It's been less than five days since I just lost my child. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't told him about what happened in the bathroom. Um, and it the dam broke and I just started screaming at him um crying screaming um you know I I accused him of not caring 
what had happened. Um, so he's like, you know, this was, this was my baby too. And I'm like, really? Cause you're not acting like it. Um, and I think that's the worst fight we've ever had. And, um, once we had both cooled down, it's like, you know, I think we need to go to therapy together. Um, and we did. And again, that's, that's one of the best things that has happened to me. Um, you know, I, at that point started, started to accept that just therapy on my own wasn't enough. Um, I started seeing a psychiatrist. I got on additional depression medication, um, which is honestly amazing. Um, I know there's, there's a lot of stigma around mental health and medication for it. Um, but I honestly, at this point, you know, a few months out, I feel better than I have in years, you know, infertility and miscarriages aside, um, on a regular day-to-day -day basis, I feel better than I have maybe in five or seven years. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy that I did that. And, um, so working with a psychiatrist on that, um, I have husband and I have been in couples counseling since early December. Um, and I think it's something that probably every couple should do at some point, even if they're not going through this kind of shit. Um, but especially if they do, um, you know, there was, there was just such a, a disconnect in how I was communicating and feeling and he was communicating and feeling. And, um, it, it was, it was driving us apart. We really were not able to, to speak to each other. Um, we weren't able to, to grieve, to heal. And, um, and just having our therapist be that person who could translate our words and emotions in a way that the other one can understand and, and teach us how to, how to start doing the same thing for ourselves. Um, is is honestly what's what's saving our marriage um and you know i don't you know we weren't on the verge of divorce um still aren't on the verge of divorce never crossed our mind but um you know if if we hadn't have done something then i i think we very easily could have just become a very just bitter deal with the hands or excuse me deal with the hand that life dealt you um kind of couple and just you know would have existed alongside each other um without having any sort of meaningful relationship um, which is is really sad because my husband is he's my life partner he's he's not just the love of my life he is he's what's there for me every day and um i think that if if we lost that that would be I just, I can't even imagine that. Um, so going, going to couples counseling is, is something that I highly recommend. Um, even if it's just for a little bit, even if it's just to, to have someone in the room to help you communicate and talk through things. Um, again, it's made, it's made a huge difference. Um, so, um, and now we're, we're up to today. Um, we took a few months off of trying. 
with my new job, I have new insurance. Um, so we were purposely waiting for that to kick in um, before we started again. And I got the most expensive policy my job offers. Really, not just because we're going to be going through treatment again and, you know, I knew I'd be using it, but the main reason is because if I need another DNC, I'm having one. Um, that that Cytotech experience has, has scarred me for life, and I will never recommend that anybody do that. Um, you know, and I will never do it again unless a doctor tells me it's medically necessary. Um, it, you know, I, I had some flashbacks every time I sat down on the toilet for a while. Um, I bled for three weeks after that. Um, and it was, it was actually one of my therapists who, you know, I mentioned, oh yeah, you know, when we had the miscarriage and she's like, you're, you're still bleeding. You're still having it. Three weeks in, I mean, that was <sighs> shit. <laughs> like, you know, when you think about it that way, it's just, it's not, a, it's not one day or one moment of your life. It's this ongoing thing. Um, and then you have to wait for your period to come back. And like I said, with my clinic, I have to have a hysteroscopy. So getting that scheduled, um, you know, for, for me and for other women with infertility, and even women who don't have infertility, you know, it doesn't, it's not exclusive, but it's not just, you know, have a miscarriage and get pregnant again a month or two later, which is what everyone was telling me. Um, it's like, it's a good six months in between. And um, right now I'm back to exactly where I started. I had my hysteroscopy, my second hysteroscopy the other day, um, and we got cleared to start again. Um, so we'll, we'll be going back to IUIs um, with my, my next period. So at the end of this month or next month, um, but we did, we did all the testing, literally everything came back normal. Um, I'm not pre-diabetic. My AMH is fine. I don't have any killer cells. I don't have any antibodies. I don't, you know, antibodies I'm not supposed to have, excuse me. My, my karyotype came back normal. My hysteroscopy is normal. Um, there's, you know, there's really no reason at this point to move on to IVF, um, especially since IVF also doesn't guarantee a baby. Um, you know, none of, none of this guarantees a baby. Um, so we're going to be going back to IUIs and yeah, that's, that's where we are now. I just want to say thank you for touching base on marriage relationships after loss, because I know like I've talked about it a lot too, but marriage can get really hard Yeah. after miscarriage or after any grief, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, so I love that you touched base on that. Cause I feel like, you know, a lot of the times we hear my husband was my rock, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah. mine wasn't. <laughs> I don't no. know. <laughs> 
you know, and I also want to clarify, it's not that they don't want to be, it's they yeah. just really don't know how. Exactly. Um, and I, I mean, I didn't know how, I didn't know what I needed or wanted. Um, so it's, it's not fair to, to say that he should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they just, they don't know how and we don't know how. And it's just a really shitty situation. Um, and, and I did want to make sure that I touched on that because, um, you know, for anyone who knows my husband and I, like we met right at the beginning of law school. We started dating right away. We were like that cute couple. Um, and everyone's always like, oh my God, you guys, you have such a good relationship. And, and we do, those things are all true. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't want to portray some kind of fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's hard and not just for us, for, for anyone, it trying to have a baby sucks or losing a baby sucks, you know, it, it all just sucks and it, it takes a toll. And I don't, you know, I'm the kind of person that puts a lot of pressure on, on myself and my environment. I'm, I'm a huge control freak. Um, the anxiety really does not help with that. Um, but you know, for, for anyone else in the same situation, like I just, I just want you, don't put that pressure on yourself to be perfect and okay, because you're not supposed to be like one of the worst things that has ever happened to you in your life has just happened or will happen to you in your life has just happened. You know, I've, I've lost a parent. I've, I lost a house. My house burned down when I was younger. Um, you know, my, my mom and my biological father went through a messy divorce when I was younger. Like I've, I've had other things in my life that were objectively difficult, but this past year has been, has been, and probably will be unlike anything I've ever dealt with. Um, and has, has absolutely changed me and my husband and our relationship and and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I have a Instagram, um, Hannah, H-A-N-N-H underscore G underscore T-T-C. Um, it's private, but just add me. Um, I only did that because there were some family members who I didn't want being super aware of my fertility journey. Um, it's weird that, you know, talking to, to strangers on podcasts and on the internet, you can say all these things, but as soon as, you know, you know, your aunt's going to see, you're like, ah, shit, I don't want that. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to anyone. Um, and, and I also just want to say, you know, somebody, somebody else close to me recently had a miscarriage and, and talking to them and helping them through it, through their experience was also healing to me in a way. Um, it gives so, a purpose, I think. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, you know, my therapist and I were talking about it. You know, I don't want to say something good came out of it, you know. That just seems like a weird thing to say out of, you know, your child's death, but it's, it's a purpose, I think is a really good way of putting it. And, um, I see it as like almost a balance to the universe. Mm 
Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, something so, so horrible can still be balanced out by. I like that. I've never heard that or, or thought of it that way, but that's so true. Thank you. Um, yeah, just, again, I don't, I don't like saying that, you know, there's a silver lining or something happy came out of it, but you know, there's, I do believe there's a balance to the universe, whatever it is. And, um, speaking about it has been really healing to me and, and helpful. Um, so I, I do appreciate this platform and, um, you know, I will, I will always be there to, to anybody who wants to DM me or, or message me, um, you know, cause it sucks. Mm-hmm. And unless you're, you're talking to somebody who's really gone through it and acknowledged that it sucks, um, no, no one's really going to get it. Yeah. I think there's like two ways of healing through this and it's either listening or sharing or both. And each one can fit different people and not for me, it was sharing mostly. And, um, yeah, for a lot of people, I think listening because they're listening to this podcast, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, listening, listening helped me, um, sharing is helping me. I've, this is honestly the first time I've sat down and told the whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for feeling the pull to do this. I appreciate it. I know everyone listening appreciates it and you'll have to keep us posted. Absolutely. I will. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Hannah. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your life after miscarriage story, go to ShellyMetling.com. Click on the life after miscarriage tab and add yourself right to the recording schedule. And I can't wait to chat with you soon. Next one.